This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM, San Francisco. Here we come live uh, from our studios on Divisdero, and we are broadcasting on Facebook Live. So those who are watching us, hello. And uh, please support KPOO, an independent, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio station. I'm your host, Jamal Dejani. My co-host, Jess Gannon, is traveling. This is part three of a series of discussions we've been holding on academic freedom and the attempts to squash Palestinian scholarship and silence the critics of the Israeli colonialism project in Palestine. We are delighted to have with us civil rights attorneys uh, Mark Kleinman and Benham Gargazoli, and of course a familiar guest on this show, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi a Palestinian-American, a Jewish-American, an Iranian-American, all fighting for social justice. What can go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome. So, before we get started, for those who are joining us late in the game, because we cannot assume that everyone has been listening to the to, uh, other interviews. If uh, Dr. Rabab quickly just give us a quick brief about less than two minutes about what happened at San Francisco State University. No, no, go ahead. As you know, as you were a member of the community from 2002, we started the Ahmed Studies program in 2007. We've been there for 11 years. We have a minor with 22 courses, full robust classes, uh, Edward Said scholarship, an agreement with the Najah National University in Palestine. Uh, and what has happened is because I believe because of our success and our ability to build, we have been subjected to relentless attacks by right-wing pro-Israeli forces. And the attacks have taken multiple shapes. The most recent one of them, actually not the most recent, before the most recent, is the lawsuit filed by the Lawfare Project uh, in June and then was followed also by a new posters, racist posters, campaigns by Horowitz in September 21st that targeted us, that claims we are anti-Semitic, we are terrorists, uh, we are disrupting and creating hostile climate for Jewish students on campus. Uh, we reject all these charges and uh, on November 8th, we, my amazing attorneys here, Mark and, and Behnam, who are working pro bono on the case, I want to emphasize that for the listeners so they can support us. They have basically defeated the uh, motion, the, the lawsuit by lawfare, and the judge threw the case out of court with leave to amend, which I will leave the details, the legal details to the lawyers. Uh, in, uh, as, uh, the, the campaign against us to shut down Ahmed, to silence me, to harass and uh, criminalize Palestinian activism on campus has been conducted both by outside forces as well as inside forces on campus. And whatever the outside forces are unable to accomplish, inside forces are accomplishing. Both of them are basically threatening public education in California, threatening the Ahmed Studies program, threatening justice for Palestine, Palestinian scholarship, pedagogy and advocacy, and threatening our ability to maintain San Francisco State as an institution of social justice for the poor and the marginalized in the Bay Area. So the lawsuit you know, and I'm trying to find the court. I'm sure you can correct me. Uh, the judge, he pretty much wasn't happy with it. And pretty much from the beginning said to everyone that he was going to dismiss it. But we know that 
they still have a chance to resubmit. Can you update our listeners on the status of the lawsuit, uh, Mark? The judges actually did something very interesting at the hearing. He said, I am almost certainly going to dismiss the lawsuit and will give leave to amend. He's done something that is technically fascinating. Lawfare, the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, cannot amend the case until the judge actually files a written order. We're now three months after the hearing, and although the judge said, I'm almost certainly going to dismiss it, and no lawfare, you cannot harass Dr. Abdul Hadi with requests for documents or um, questions or a demand for testimony until you've amended and can demonstrate you have a real case, the judge has yet to actually file a written order. So right now, for the la- and for the last three months, lawfare cannot um, proceed. They can't amend the ca- complaint. They can't try to comply with all of the things the judge said was wrong with it. And so they can't go forward to harass Dr. Abdul Hadi or any of the other plaintiffs in the lawsuit. And, and lawfare, dead. because I want to talk a little bit about yeah. what is lawfare. And my understanding, you have uh, lawfare and another firm, Winston and Strawn, LLP, uh, who both yeah. jointly filed the lawsuit 78 pages long. Uh, what is lawfare? Go for it. Can I take it? I don't act without my boss's permission. <laughs> so... Lawfare is an ultra-right Zionist organization uh, that has taken stances on issues which, uh, in my personal opinion, and I think that opinion is shared among the three of us, uh, is these stances are racist. They have declared that Palestinian people do not even exist. Uh, this is a quote by uh, Brooke Goldstein, who is one of the leaders of Lawfare. And it's important to understand what the term lawfare even is. Lawfare, as is actually said on Lawfare's own website, is a tactic of silencing your opponents by filing frivolous lawsuits. So they've already incriminated themselves very, very well with the name that they have chosen. As we can see so far, this lawsuit is frivolous, and its goal is to silence Palestinian advocates such as Dr. Abdel Hadi. And so, and th- that's not the only racist position they have taken. They've also called other, gr- other Jewish groups like Jewish Voice for Peace, whose political ideologies they disagree with, they've called them fake Jews. And they've taken a very traditional ultra-right stance towards other Jewish individuals who differ with them on Zionist ideology by calling them either fake Jews or self-hating Jews or other plainly racist terms. So this is an organization that has teamed up with what is otherwise a very reputable law firm, Winston and Strawn. They're an international law firm with many, many lawyers at their disposal. But for reasons that are not entirely clear right now, Winston and Strawn has agreed with Lawfare to bring this suit against Dr. Abdelhadi and the university. Can I add one thing? Sure. The question of racism to add to it is that the lawsuit itself is actually framed in very racist terms. Mm-hmm. It claims that the cause of anti-Semitism at San Francisco said that there is inherent anti-Semitism and that the cause of it goes back to 1968 strike at SFSU by the Black Student Union and the Third World Liberation Front to decolonize the curriculum. 
to actually come up with a different kind of curriculum that speaks to the lived experiences of communities of color for indigenous communities, marginalized communities, and educate and validate the experiences of the students who are coming to San Francisco State. The lawfare claims that this is rest that developed into the College of Ethnic Studies. And because Ahmed in the College of Ethnic Studies, all of this concocting uh, theory that doesn't make sense except racism and, and, and uh, xenophobia. This is where they place it. So the whole at the attack, its genesis, is rooted in attack on revamping curriculum for social justice. And what can you say about the current atmosphere, the political atmosphere? I mean, you know, the Trump era, white supremacy. How does this fit in, you, you know, both on on a social level, but also on a legal level, because we, we're, we're seeing things. People are trying to shred parts of the Constitution and basically civil liberties. Well, I I think this is a marvelous example of overreach. Uh, the net effect of this attack is both to broaden the base of the active opposition, the active people who are trying to... Um, and I think have turned the tide on a lot of um, the issues that are dear to us. And it also deepens that opposition. Um, historically, what happens when you have the kind of overreach that the Zionists have engaged in, whether in Israel or here in the, the United States, or overreach on the part of overt white supremacists, is that some people who may not be initially allied with us are appalled by the tactics, are appalled by the oppression, and wind up joining us, listening to us, and joining our efforts to turn things around. Um, every time we get attacked, every time some city in Texas says, you're not going to get hurricane relief aid if you don't sign something saying you oppose BDS, every time the sta a state says, we're not going to hire you to train teachers to teach mathematics because you won't sign a promise to oppose BDS. There are people who did not know what BDS was until these kinds of bullying tactics put it on their radar screen and on the map. So I'm very encouraged by this. And I think and I think the fact that American Civil Liberties Union has actually joined in defending the right of people who advocate BDS boycott divestment and sanctions against Israel to force Israel since it's not listening nicely to abide by the international rule by the law of law, by the by the rule of law. Uh, they have joined in and said you cannot silence people. People have the right to advocate what they believe in. This is this is part of the First Amendment. This is part of civil liberties. Uh, maybe there are people and there are people who are trying to shred the Constitution, however imperfect as it is. And people know that I think I don't think it goes far enough to protect people's rights and so on. But even that, they would like to shred it and basically turn this country into a police state. And well, it is, is what, turning. I yeah, mean, it is, it is turning and, and, things and happening by ICE yes. now, yeah. uh, all these these raids, mm -hmm. the immigration issues, BDS. Uh, it's all connected. I mean, we always talk about it, not even connected here, but it's also connected to what's happening in Palestine, you know, with the recent arrest of a 16-year-old 
عهد التميمي شي تور 17 I mean, simply, this young woman, Ahed Tamim, as we spoke last week, and I don't want to take too much time of the interview for that, but she basically protested Israeli soldiers, Israeli military occupation soldiers who came to her house, injured her cousin, had killed her aunt, had put her father in prison, has been targeting her community day in and day out. They came to her house, and she dared speak up and stand up for her rights. And for that, she is being punished. She's been put in military tribunal. She's been sent to prison. She has been constructed as a villain. As, as we talked about last week, Jamal, she's, uh, her fa- whole family is constructed as a fake family. Now we have fake Jews. We have fake families. Every, it's very interesting. And Trump talks about fake news. And it's, they're the ones who are creating the fakeness. I mean, they're the ones who are actually not creating things that are reflective of reality. I can uh, piggyback on two things that have been said so far. Uh, this, yes, it, it, everything is connected here. Absolutely so. And the situation it has taken some unfortunate turns. For example, what's happening in Palestine right now. However, as Mark said, the tide has turned in many ways. And this lawsuit by lawfare and their failure to even get past this stage of the lawsuit their failure to silence Dr. Abdelhadi, which is the ulterior motive of the lawsuit, shows that these tactics are backfiring. If you look at Dr. Abdelhadi's classes, they are more robust than ever. Mm-hmm. And, that, and obviously, they have been completely unsuccessful in silencing Dr. Abdelhadi and people who are affiliated with Dr. Abdelhadi. This radio show is a perfect example of this. So while the situation, while the opposition to freedom of speech, to Palestinian advocacy is strong, we are stronger and we have turned the tide and we're going to continue to turn the tide because in the end, justice will prevail if we stand up and we fight for it. Uh, you're listening to the voice of Dr. Abdelhadi. We have Mark Kleiman and Benham Gargozli, both her pro bono, I have to say, legal team here, and we'll get to that pro bono thing because, actually, it's part of my next uh, question. You know, you talk about turning the tide and you're turning, you know, like uh, the lawsuit hopefully will be totally dismissed. And uh, you were telling me yesterday, Mark, that they filed another lawsuit or planning to file one, right? So, uh, but, you know, uh, what recourse besides beating them in court. I mean, this exerts emotional and psychological toll on Dr. Abdel Hadi and all the other, you know, professors. And, and, and this is part of their, part of that lawfare. It's not just like taking it to court, but also dragging it, you know, for, for so many months, if not, if not years. What, what, what's, what's the answer to this? Well, there, there are a couple of possible answers to it. Um, there are some interesting lines that so far Winston and Strawn, at least, the law firm that Benham was talking about, have been unwilling to, and, to cross and are afraid of crossing. The one thing they cannot do without risking getting financially punished by the court 
and punished severely. The one thing they cannot do is simply make stuff up and tell lies about Dr. Abdul Hadi, about the students, etc. So what they have done instead of tell overt lies is use a trick legal phrase that's called on information and belief, the plaintiffs allege this and that and the other thing. Um, it's sort of an indoor sport with Beckham and I. We've been keeping count. First time around, they had over um, two dozen things that the plaintiffs alleged on information and belief, meaning we don't know that this is true. We're not saying it's true, but we think it's true or it'd be nice if it were true. Mm-hmm. So believe us, Judge. Um, and after we wrote our first opposition to the lawsuit and first motion to dismiss the first lawsuit, um, they rolled over and said, okay, you're right. We're not going to go into court and embarrass ourselves too badly. We're going to file a second version of the lawsuit. Um, Technically, it's called a first amended complaint because if lawyers called things what they were plainly, you wouldn't need us. Um, (laughs) Second version, they went from two dozen things on information and belief Mm -hmm. to nearly 40 things on information and belief Um, because there's that line they're afraid to cross. That line is putting down as facts things they know are not facts. But they've crossed it in many ways. I mean, uh, talking to Dr. Abdelhadi and what she had to go through and how she's been treated at her own institution, talking to the young students where they posted their pictures, their Facebook profile, and shared it all over, and some of them received uh, phone calls at their jobs. I mean, isn't isn't this grounds for defamation or defamation lawsuit, or isn't there kind of some malicious intent in their action? Um, this, this is where lawyers are good at splitting. The one thing they teach people like Bethlehem and I in law school is you keep a concept in a little box on the table and you don't let the concept lift open the lid, run across the table and get into another box. It sort of has to stay in the box it's in. Um, So there's the question of the horrible posters that have been put up defaming Dr. Abdul Hadi on the one hand and the threats and efforts and intimidation to the students on another hand and then what's in the lawsuit itself. And you're absolutely right. It's all part of the same campaign to intimidate and to silence. And but, exact a heavy price, as Brooke yes, said. Yes, and she did say that. One of the things she is on videotape is saying, and, and you're absolutely right, Dr. Abdul Hadi, she actually, Brooke Goldstein said, the goal of these lawsuits is to inflict massive punishment on the opponents of Israel. Um, so it's all part of the same campaign. But what they do in the lawsuit um, is almost by definition not defamation. I could put in a lawsuit um, amazing things about Brooke Goldstein that would make your hair stand on end, um, and none of them would have to be true. Mm -hmm. A judge could fine me for telling lies about her, but she couldn't sue me for saying nasty things, even untrue things, in a lawsuit. Um, Lawyers are given sort of... Yes, wide latitude with a bad attitude. Um, the, uh, the posters are certainly defamatory, but this is a big trap. 
Mm -hmm. um, for two reasons. Um, at one point when we were having a strategy meeting, one of our um, friends observed that courtrooms in general are where movements go to die. Um, it's important to stay focused on what our political activities are as a, and defend ourselves in court when we need to. But we don't want the focus of our fight and our efforts um, to become what happens in a courtroom because what happens in the classroom, what happens in the streets, what happens in the meetings matters so much more. And I think it's important to emphasize as well that Israel, a country that accepts billions of dollars in U.S. taxpayer money every single year, when, they, when organizations like Lawfare are on American soil, they refuse to respect and adhere to the very American values that they claim exist in Israel, which we know they, they, they do not. And to your point about what we can do to go perhaps on the offensive is to make the public aware of these contradictions and this outright hypocrisy. Not every battle has to happen in a courtroom. There are political battles that can be fought as well. This is a political battle that lawfare has brought to the courtroom, inappropriately so. And we're going to defeat this lawsuit and we're going to continue fighting the political battle. It is. I mean, it's both political and, of course, legal. And it's all connected because also it's connected not only with the uh, trying to, signing, to, to silence uh, people in academia or journalists, but also the whole thing about the BDS movement. Uh, just uh, I think yesterday now they have a new uh, uh, resolution they're trying to, p to pass in the Ohio Senate, uh, Resolution HCR10, and which basically condemns the... Uh, they call it anti-Semitic, and this is where I want to get into this definition. They label it the anti-Semitic anti boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. And, and this is scary because no one wants to be labeled being anti-Semitic, right? So, so, they're, they're, you know, so this is just a resolution. You know, they're taking their time to go to the Senate. This is in Ohio, and it was uh, uh, presented by representatives Andy Thompson and Dave Greenspan. And so this is actually the 12th resolution of its kind uh, that uh, has been presented to a US, U.S. state legisl legislator as part of, of the efforts of uh, basically tying the BDS movement to anti-Semitism. How do you fight this? Well, I, I, first, first, I just have to vent this stuff makes my head explode. Just two days ago, Donald Trump endorsed a Republican candidate in Illinois who denies the existence of the Holocaust. <laughs> right. I mean, you talk about upfront, in-your-face anti-Semitism, and these people are complaining about BDS? Where the hmm, are their priorities? This is crazy. We can show them people with swastikas marching in the street, and they're concerned about a boycott. What, uh, it, show, it also shows you how powerful our movement is becoming, that they've got this tunnel vision, that they're focused on Palestinian rights and Palestinian activism, when um, the real threat is looming 12 times larger right down the block. Well, in many cases also, 
people say that they are even tied to this real threat. Yeah. Yeah. There is a connection between these Zionists and yeah. white supremacists on, on money fronts. I would like to um, address a couple of things. One is the whole question. The lawyers can talk about what what works within the law, what doesn't work within the law. At San Francisco State itself, actually, there have been many accusations of anti-Semitism, and there have been claims by the same plaintiffs or people who are allied with them that anti-Semitism at San Francisco State is the result of Palestinian scholarship, advocacy, and pedagogy. And every single time these charges have been made have been refuted every single time and have been proven to be untrue. When the students, uh, a whole bunch of students went and protested the visit of the racist mayor of occupied Jerusalem to San Francisco State, the university hired an independent investigator and the independent investigator came out and said, this is not against the Jews. There is no violence involved. This was specifically a protest against near Barakat and against Israeli policies. When they came back and they accused the organizers of the Know Your Rights Fair in last spring of being uh, uh, anti-Semitic and producing hostile in climate for Jewish students, the uh, university itself, however horribly prepared its investigating itself and the CSU actually sent it back to them and said you need to fix it there is too many defects in it but there is categorically a proof that there has nothing to do with Jewish students it wasn't anti-Jewish there have been multiple investigations at CUNY at City University of New York at UC Irvine multiple places where accusations by pro-Zionist organizations say that pro-Palestinian activism and advocacy for justice for Palestine is anti-Semitic and every single one of them has been refuted. As a matter of fact, majority, many, not majority, many, maybe half of the people who are organizing around justice for in Palestine are Jews themselves. And this makes a lot of sense because they don't want to be identified with the Israeli policies. They don't want to be identified with lawfare. They don't want to be identified with the right wing like Sheldon Adelson or the Christians United for Israel, which is an evangelical Christian Zionist uh, movement, big movement. They don't want to be identified with Trump. They want to be identified with social justice. Every single time this has been refuted and what is happening is the pro-Israeli forces whether in the Ohio Senate whether in Kansas whether in Texas or at San Francisco State and elsewhere are trying to continue linking up the demand for justice for in Palestine and the movement to bring Israel to abide by international law that is similar to the movement that South African anti-apartheid movement created and it's similar to the movement of the civil rights movement and many other movements around the world they try to link it up, decriminalize it, mm -hmm. uh, make it look as racist and connect it with anti-Semitism. And we categorically refute that. The problem is, as you said, Jamal, is that it continues to exact a heavy price. That the, even after all these evidence and all these investigation proof again and again that there is definitely no connection between advocacy, a scholarship and and. Um, pedagogy on Palestine and anti-Semitism. And in fact, we are actually very strongly, as you saw yesterday at the teaching mm -hmm. we had, I mean, we're very committed to it and we've been committed before lawfare and we will be committed after lawfare and we're always in our classes and everything's ever since Ahmed was created and before Ahmed was created. We have been very committed to the, the fighting against anti-Semitism, racism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, colonialism all the hate speech, all the hatred thing, we continue to, us to suffer. 
mm-hmm. because these forces are not happy with the dismissal of the of the, uh, of the with the victory we achieved on November 8th. They're not happy with the results of all these investigations. They are intent on silencing completely, silencing me and crushing completely the Ahmed Sadis program, and silencing Palestinian advocacy because all of these groups, all of these movements are changing the ways people think about Palestine. And they basically do not want to have any debate whatsoever. I'm looking for a, an action item because how to turn the tide, because you've said something very important. That they're extracting a heavy price. Yes. And I've said early on, and you've, you are both of you, uh, you know, civil rights attorneys. Yeah, I know how much attorneys charge per hour. Uh, We know how much they charge per hour. You are working for free. This is uh, the pre bono factor. And and, and it's very generous. I mean, it's very generous of you. But if if this continues, and now you have Rabab, and then you have five people like Rabab, or 10 people, or 20 people like Rabab, what can people, you know, people who are under attack and people who support uh, civil liberties and academic freedom do. Uh, number one, maybe we'll take it, we'll split that in, into two questions. One is, what, people, what can people do to help you, you know, to, to, and to help uh, Rabab and, 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 and this struggle? I mean, I mean, no one asks this question. You know, I, I've met with you so many times. I see you. you, you you're, you're, you're not based in San Francisco. You come from L.A., What's what's the magic in this? Oh, God. Is now the time I tell you that I stand on a freeway entrance with a sign that says, we'll sue for food? <laughs> <laughs> this will Probably this will attract a lot of media attention. Maybe, you know, and we'll, we'll have a lot of hits. But yeah. um, I, I, the thing is, first of all, um, there has been a fund set up to help not with our fees because we are not charging fees, but to help with the cost of discovery, the, the cost of filing things, the cost of investigations, the cost of importing us to San Francisco, although we travel, travel as cheaply as we can, number one. And number two, um, there's a marvelous organization just across the bay called Palestine Legal that has been instrumental in supporting um, students, graduate students, academics all over the country who have been subjected to these kinds of attacks. In, uh, in Rabab's situation, it's, it was sort of unique because the attack has been so intense at San Francisco State. There has been attack on the students as well, GUPS, the General Union of Palestinian Students. Um, the administration was um, has tried to discipline, expel, suspend, um, etc. A number of the students, um, and because Palestine Legal was already involved on the part of the students, um, they were afraid from a pr- just the perspective of professional ethics that there was a potential conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Because in some of the things where they're defending the students, Dr. Abdul Hadi's a witness. Right. So them representing her at the same time was not going to work, um, which is is one of the reasons um, we stepped up to the plate. And in, in, in fact, um, very shortly after I um, first talked with Dr. Abdul Hadi and agreed to represent her, Benham had emailed 
Palestine Legal, saying, hi, I'm back from Cambridge. Um, I want to get involved. What's going on? And the timing was perfect. Um, so Palestine Legal is a major conduit for support for people in Dr. Abdul Hadi's situation, for students across the country who are being attacked. Um, and there are lawyers now, um, volunteer lawyers who are stepping up all over the country um, wanting to be trained to do what Benham and I are doing and wanting to step in and defend professors and students. That's the thing. This ki these kinds of bullying tactics um, inevitably breed anger and opposition and, you know, broaden our base of support. Um, there's one thing I have to quickly say historically. This is not without precedent in the United States. In the 1830s, the slaveholding states who controlled the U.S. Senate and who controlled Congress actually got rules passed that were like a gag order, the same kind of gags they try to put on Palestinian activists. When, if you were in Congress in the 1830s, you could not bring up the fact that your constituents, if you were from the North, were opposed to slavery. You could not mention petitions that they had submitted to you. It was against the rules in the House and the Senate. And what happened as a consequence was that even people who were not initially um, repulsed by slavery mm -hmm. were repulsed by the idea that somebody with money and political power was going to dictate to them what they could and could not talk about. In the, in the halls of Congress. Because this is what's happening. Yes. They have the political power. They have the money. And, you know, uh, the uh, other law firm has, what, a thousand lawyers? Uh, working. A thousand against two? I'd say that's about right. Yeah, I a thousand so. to yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. I want, I'm sorry, you wanna, oh yeah. I want to also, um, add, I want to add something to what Mark has said. One is that uh, there isn't enough lawyers. There is too many cases. And the thing, the problem is that these forces are, okay, it's going to keep moving. These forces are quite, uh, they have deep pockets. They are supported by the likes of Sheldon Adelson, the Koch brothers, the Bradley Foundation. They are very deep, intimate relations with the White House. And they also, at San Francisco State itself, they have very deep and intimate relations with the administration, including people within the administration. And so what happens is that the exacting, the, 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 the price, uh, making us pay a heavy price, whether it is outside, when they fail outside, coming into inside of the university, making every Everything we do, costing a very heavy price, trying to get a room reserved. When on my 11 years, we've been using the same room, renting, the, not renting, is reserving the same room in the College of Ethnic Studies that we've done all the time because we are in the College of Ethnic Studies. This week, all of a sudden, there is supposedly concern from student affairs about the room. There are questions about the scope of the event. There are questions about what academic issues are going to be, which reminds me, it's very reminiscent of fascism and basically asking what's the content of your freedom of speech? What are you going to do? Given that we've never confronted this. And then when I asked what was the problem, 
it, they, I was told that the student affairs feels that there is a lot of traffic, a lot of chatter about the event and so on. I said, well, this is really great because it's wonderful when there is That's an, what education, want them to do. an educational event. There is a lot of noise about it. This means people will be interested. And then I was told that risk management is interested, really has to have insurance. And I was asking, why is there insurance? We've never, ever had insurance, at least to my knowledge. I have never heard our conference room in the College of Ethnic and we reject that on a basis that if you say that there are risks to student safety when there is an event identified with Palestine, with Arabs, Muslims, people of color, indigenous people, the people in the College of Ethnic Studies, you are basically constructing them as a danger to society. And that is racism is not even inviting racism. That is racism, discrimination 101. That's basic discrimination. When you do that, you are inviting fear mongering. And so when you are saying we want to ensure, why is it that you want to ensure? What kind of impression? What's the message you're sending out to the public? They said, well, we really have, we may have problem with space. I said, well, give us bigger space. We will move to Jack Adams. Give us bigger space. We will go to a bigger space. We also streamlined the event online in order for us that if students are unable to come in because we have multiple classes coming in, students want to learn, they're hungry for knowledge. This is why they populate the classes. We have no spaces in our classes. We tell them we were going to stream live so students will be able to watch it on their phones, share with each other on Pi iPads, send them to the library, do all sorts of precautions in order for us to get the message across. Saying actually filing insurance on an event we are doing, it's a very serious precedent. I find it a very serious precedent. And I'm asking the university to provide us with evidence of insurance for every single event that has happened in the College of Ethnic Studies since 1969 until now. I want to see what event was insured and what was the basis for the insurance or who's imposing these terms of insurance and who is claiming student safety in order to try to silence us again, which sounds to me exactly like the lawsuit that we are, we're supposed to be threatening the, 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 uh, the safety of Jewish students. We, me, one person who lived under occupation, who is on a campus where another professor served in the Israeli military, where there are students who served in the mil same, mili the same military that patrols the checkpoint and imposes curfews on where I grew up. I mean, this is the same place. And they're trying to silence me. They're trying to silence the students. They're coming up with all sorts of bureaucratic reasons in order to silence and stop us from teaching, from educating, from uh, doing our public service, from co uh, communicating with the students. Why is this going on? That's that's a very serious, that's, and we want our community, we want alumni from San Francisco State University, we want our communities to make the university know that this is not okay, that they are not, the university is out of step, and San Francisco State needs to abide by the social justice mission for which a public institution in the Bay Area has been created for. It has been created for the children of the poor. It has been created for students who were the first in their families to go to college. It is the, the university for this for the sanctuary for students who are undocumented. This is the kind of the university we are, and this is the kind of university we will defend. And we want people to come and support us in holding our university accountable to what the mission of the university is. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. 89.5 FM. We are also being watched uh, all over the world. By the way, we have uh, people watching us from Sydney, Australia. We have people watching us from France. We have a, actually someone posted a comment 
to Dr. Abdul Hadi. Uh, he's a professor. His name is Malcolm Rigsby. And Malcolm says, uh, I'm a professor at Henderson State University, Arkansas. I am in solidarity. I visit San Francisco regularly. Please call upon me if there is a way I can assist. Please call so, upon us when you're in San Francisco. Yeah, so, so I'm, 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 I'm just uh, talking to our viewers on, on Facebook. Uh, we'll try to answer uh, most of your uh, comments. Uh, and again, in the studio right here is uh, attorneys Mike, Mark uh, Kleinman and Benham Gargazoli. And of course, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi. Uh, I want to go to the quiet one a little bit here and get him talking. <laughs> uh, and I'm not, I know you're not, I know, and I know, and I know you're not, but I'm trying to be, I know you're not that quiet, but, uh, uh, and maybe we'll get in, delve into a little bit the legal aspect, like the next steps. I don't know how much you can talk about or give away the plans. I mean, there's still that yeah. hanging lawsuit. Yeah. The final judgment uh, has not come. There might be others, so what are you guys planning? Sure. So there's only so much we can plan at this point because the uh, court has not issued that written order, which would essentially give the plaintiffs the green light to refile their lawsuit, which would be their second amended complaint. In other words, it will be their third attempt to come after Dr. Abdelhadi. And until the court issues that written ruling, and until the plaintiffs do file that Second Amendment complaint, there is only so much that we can plan for, because there isn't really a target right now for us, legally speaking. Now, the way that we have brainstormed, and Dr. Abdelhadi, am I allowed to? Of course. Okay, thank you. So the, the way that we are predicting that this will play out is one of two ways. The first is that, and uh, Mark mentioned this, uh, alluded to this a little bit earlier, is that they might, in order to get past our next round of motions to dismiss, they might just make up facts. Mm. They might just completely lie and fabricate facts so that they will have enough in terms of allegations to get to the next stage of the lawsuit. That's one. And if they do that, we will find out that they've lied and that they fabricated facts. And we will find out when they knew that these facts were false. And we will bring a motion to sanction them so they can be punished financially so that they never do anything like this again. That's one scenario. The second scenario is that they will continue their current tactics in essentially basing things on information and belief, uh, perhaps somewhat broadening the basis of their allegations without completely lying in their lawsuit. If they do that, they will probably not survive the next round of motions to dismiss that we file. And at that point, they are less likely to get leave to amend. And leave to amend was mentioned earlier, if I may just uh, talk about that a little bit more. On November 8th, the court indicated that it would dismiss the lawsuit, but provide the plaintiffs with leave to amend. What that means is they have another chance to file their lawsuit. However, if the court dismisses their next lawsuit, their second amendment complaint, at that point, the court has an indication that they don't really have the sufficient allegations to survive a motion to dismiss because they've had so many chances already. And the more the court dismisses a lawsuit, the less likely it is to grant leave to amend. And at that point, if the court grants, grants the motion to dismiss without leave to amend, then the lawsuit 
is over. Mm. Yeah, that's actually... So, and if I can just add, just to put it simply, it's heads we win and tails they lose. So they are stuck right now and they made a big mistake. They made a big mistake, in my opinion, in opening up, up this front and bringing what it should be a political debate into a courtroom by way of a frivolous lawsuit that was explicitly intended to harass Dr. Abdel Hadi mm -hmm. because she's a, a advocate of Palestine, because she's an academic, because she is so fearless. And that's why she's a target of this lawsuit. Well, uh, I'm sure they'll lose. I mean, I, I have this feeling, but I'm, I'm trying to look at really how can you fight this train, this wrecking train. And also, we didn't talk that much, but also connecting it. This is not a local political issue. Mm -hmm. Let's face it. This is, I mean, it, especially in this atmosphere now on the news, all what we hear about Russian interference in the elections and, and APAC, which should be registered as a foreign agent in Washington, D.C. But, but this whole thing takes you back into a foreign country really meddling in internal affairs, U.S. internal affairs, which is which is the state of Israel. And yesterday in the teaching, you were talking, uh, Mark, you were talking about how Israel elevated uh, the label existential threat uh, to BDS. Actually, I've written an article in 2015 just about that. And at the time, it was the 10-year anniversary for BDS. And the Israeli government uh, funded 100 million shekels at the time. And it, it kind of coincided with Sheldon Adelson. We keep saying Sheldon Adelson, but it actually was Sheldon Adelson and Haim Saban. That's right. Yes. Both of them. And they both, by the way, sit on the opposite political, you know, one is the, supports Democrats, the other one supports Republicans, Republican candidates, except when it came to this issue. They basically united in Las Vegas and raised $50 million, it, uh, you know, uh, because when I was researching mm -hmm. for that, the, the uh, plate was a million dollars to, 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 to go to that dinner in Las Vegas. You, you had to write a minimum of a million dollars. So this is, this is how powerful and this is done at the behest. I have to be very open at the behest of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. So, so how do you make these connections when, when if, if this, ha you know, like, we, again, I, I say about Russia, but if Italy was doing this or if, uh, if France was doing it or if, even if Mexico was doing it and, 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 and funding, you know, organizations to, ha to harass professors at universities and to harass other, you know, people would be up in arms. They, they would be. Um, there is a long and lurid history of um, this government allowing um, the supporters of Israel and um, the opponents of e efforts to get human rights and equality for Palestinians um, and them getting a pass on things that nobody else would ever be allowed to do. It's not just a question of funding BDS and not having to register as a foreign agent. Um, um, there have been books written about 
by reputable journalists about the history of the Central Intelligence Agency mm -hmm. documenting clearly the role of highly placed CIA officials in green lighting and covering up for the theft of nuclear materials from the United States to actually um, develop and kickstart um, the Israeli atomic bomb. Um, there is no question that they're allowed to do things. When you look at, um, you go back to 1967 and you look at the attack on the USS Liberty, where a clearly marked United States warship with a flag half as big as this building that had been sitting in the same place for a day and a half and was well known to the Israeli Air Force and Israeli Navy was bombed and strafed for over 45 minutes, causing over 200 U.S. casualties, um, including over 64 deaths. What did Israel do? They wrote a check. They wrote a check. If any other nation in the world had done that, there would have been a declaration of war. There would have been U.S. warplanes over um, Tel Aviv the way there were U.S. warplanes over Tripoli. None of that happens. So, I mean, there, you, people talk about the Palestine exception. This is part of the Palestine exception. We, ac we actually get away with murder. We actually in San Francisco we also had the uh, SFPD uh, spying uh, on on Palestinians back in in the 80s. Yeah. You know, even on a local level, on behalf of uh, of Israel and on behalf of anti-defamation league. Just to provide yeah. another example. Who can forget when Benjamin Netanyahu came to this country, came to our Congress, and lectured our president on how to handle foreign affairs? If any other head of state were to do that, the American people would be outraged. And yet, Benjamin Netanyahu, for reasons that are perplexing at the very least, is allowed to come and lecture his benefactor. Remember, I, I can't stress this enough. The United States provides Israel with billions of dollars every single year from US taxpayers. Billions. Regardless of how well our economy is doing, regardless of our level of poverty in this country, regardless of our need for social services, Israel always gets billions of dollars of American aid. And not only do they refuse to follow American instructions with respect to the settlements, with respect to negotiations with Palestinians. They take the money and to the advice they say, no thank you. And if that were not bad enough, they come to this country. Benjamin Netanyahu has the audacity to come to this country and lecture our president. That's appalling and it's wrong. So I'm just, go ahead, go ahead. I, I, th I mean, I think this is, this, is, this is why it's really, really important what we are doing and how we're teaching about it. Because the whole question about uh, what Israel is trying to do, first on a, on, a, on a question of justice and BDS and the movement to support Palestine, 
is to treat Israel as any other state that should be accountable to international law, to standards, to uh, um, U.S. Uh, funding, to everything else. It's not an exception. And this is why this is it's also really important to teach about that. And this is why we they're trying to silence us, because when we show all of these things, when we show what Israel is doing, we, we show that this is not Israel is not being targeted because of anti-Semitism. Israel is being as being targeted because it violates every single aspect of every single uh, part of Palestinian rights. And it needs to be held accountable. And we teach about that. This idea of teaching, this idea of learning, this idea of making this information available to the students. Again, as you saw how many students showed up yesterday, students were coming in, there was no spit, coming in and going out, coming in and going out all the time. This is what we are trying to do. And this is why there is a very strong, relentless campaign to try to silence us, to shut down the Ahmed program and to end Palestinian advocacy on campus. And this is why we need people. We need people here in the Bay Area. We need alumni. We need people at San Francisco State. We need people to stand up and say we are not afraid. We need people to stand up and say we're not going to allow this to happen. We need to have people stand up and say we want San Francisco State to abide by the role as a public institution. I'm a little bit puzzled, really, because San Francisco State University, this is an academic institution. This is the place where you should, you know, express your opinion, where they should uh, encourage free thinking and so forth. And I see the support from the students, from the community, but I don't see it from the administration. I don't see it even, you know, aside from, you know, your colleagues that who are very close, but this, like... I would I would think like all the professors there they should be marching to the administration building and say this is this is wrong. Yeah, but the question is I mean this is the issue the about question fear. Is not only why yeah because there is a chilling factor there is an intimidation the the intent of all these attacks is new McCarthyism is to tell people to mark people who are speaking up to silence them, to punish them, to criminalize them, and to tell everybody else, don't you dare do that, because this is what's going to happen to you. But I think the bigger question is that, why is the administration doing this? The bigger question is that, why do we have to? Why are we necessitated to have to organize movements in order to hold the administration accountable instead of us actually doing what we should be doing and what our job is? Teaching, researching, mentoring, providing the knowledge that the students need. And the university is very complicit in this. This is why the, the reason is the university is extremely complicit in this and that the university needs to be held accountable. We have one minute. I need a hopeful message from Mark. <laughs> I mean, I, I, atmosphere, yeah, really. Yes. I, I am, a hopeful message. I am very optimistic. There was a poll that just came out last week showing that a, the majority of the progressive Democratic Party base, not the Democratic Party itself, the Saban Clinton wing, but the progressive base is twice as sympathetic to Palestinians and to Palestine as it is to Israelis. This is spreading slowly but inexorably through Congress. The California Democratic Party this year passed some great resolutions calling on congressional representatives and the senators to support Palestinian rights and to support pro-Palestinian speech. Um, it's a long fight. But we are on our way and we're getting there. Well, we'll have to end on this happy note. You've been listening to Arab Talk on 
KPOO San Francisco. I'd like to thank our guests, Mark Kleinman, Benham Gargazoli, Dr. Abab Abdelhadi. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.